Worldview Truth. Medical freedom has been a battle that's been going on for years. Um, but I don't think it's really been realized by the, by the American public until probably COVID hit uh, just in, in recent times. One of the people that's been on the very front lines of this battle is Dr. John Littell. Dr. Littell, I've met him uh, a few years ago. Uh, in fact, it was right around the COVID era is when I actually mm -hmm. met you. He's a board-certified family physician uh, for nearly 30... 34 six, years 34 now. years. Yeah. Um, he, was, uh, he was a military physician. Is that mm -hmm. right? Army, yeah. Army. Our friends in, the, in some of the other uh, branches will probably forgive you for that. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, go Army. <laughs> I um I appreciate and and what I appreciate about about you is the is the battle that you are in the middle of this battle, mm. and um I I really appreciate that. And I want to I want you to just give us a little bit of a background. Um and and I know that you fought more battles than the COVID battle. I'm I'm very familiar with some of these, and and most of them have not been popular. People have not saying, "Hey, good job! I appreciate you you fighting this." And COVID exactly. has been one of those. And uh, I just want to tell a little bit about about you, about that battle. Um, from my experience and what I know about you, you have probably treated more COVID patients than just about any any doctor in the in the in the country. Yeah, I think probably for sure any solo doctor. There's a group practice out in California, an urgent care practice. Very good friend of mine, Brian Tyson. And his partner, you know, they, they've seen a lot of people walking in and out of that urgent care. But what makes my, me, I guess, unique among these uh, group of small group, unfortunately, of COVID warrior docs is that um, being a family physician, I've been blessed with the opportunity to, to care for people. Uh, although many, in many cases during the peak of COVID, it, it was things like telemedicine. I was on the phone with people from in St. Louis and Buffalo and California and Canada. But at the same time, caring for people in the greater uh, Ocala community, the greater Orlando community, because of my practice down there, mm -hmm. which my daughter worked in. So continuity of care, seeing folks uh, all the way through their, all the stages of their illness, up to and including their hospital, and in some cases rehabilitation, and up to and including home visits uh, for many people who made the wise decision to not go to the emergency room, not go to the hospitals for reasons, but I'm sure folks uh, should know, and if they don't, I'll enlighten them about that. But I said to many, uh, at many occasions, I've said, in spite, in spite of seven years of military service as an Army physician with three deployments, including probably the most arduous one being in Guantanamo Bay, where I was caring for Haitian refugees, boat people picked up in the middle of the ocean by the Coast Guard cutters with a host of infectious diseases, um, illnesses that I had not even been exposed to. Um, but there's no doubt about it. The experience during COVID, the Delta Wave 2021, the hardest work of my career, um, and it did feel like a battle zone going in and out of those hospitals, ICUs, uh, even into the emergency rooms. And, and, and just as the Coast Guard cutters were rescuing these folks from the ocean, I, I felt in many cases, uh, I know darn well, I was rescuing people from a certain fate had they stayed in the hospital. I got them out of the emergency rooms, got them home, got them on remedies that, you know, they got over their COVID quickly once I was able to treat them effectively. And some folks did linger and stay sick longer, but we kept them off of the ventilators. We kept them off of the remdesivir protocols, and uh, we were allowed to treat them the way, 
you know, I, I, I always felt it was in my heart the right way to treat people by first doing no harm and secondly just uh, making myself uh, open to the possibility of these other medications that even were new for me. I mean, who mm. knew that I'd be prescribing ivermectin or even hydroxychloroquine in the, to the degree that I did. But once I did, including myself, my treating myself, uh, and I saw the miraculous, uh, oh, near miraculous recoveries, it was a... Uh, it was a done deal, and I was not going to allow anybody to get in the way of me and my patients. Well, tell me this. Um, what what triggered you to say, hey, there's got to be a different alternative. There's got to be a, a better alternative. What what actually triggered you to, to realize that something was was wrong about the way that this was being treated? And, of course, this was new. Nobody knew. No, brand new. So yeah, 2020. It, it, yeah, March uh, March of 2020, just about that time frame. I mean, we were all looking at the headlines. Uh, I got I got some articles came across my desk uh, from from Italy. One was from Italy saying, "Learn from our mistakes." Okay, first of all, and I still have that article. It was uh, it was published by the Italian physicians in northern Italy in the area that was hit hard, Tuscany, and they said, "Do not put people in the hospitals. Do not was this put people early early on." I mean, the the, the initial. Hit, hit, you know, after China, the next single biggest wave was in northern Italy in the nursing homes, the elderly populations of Tuscany. And those doctors saw how it spread like wildfire in the hospitals and nursing homes. And they said to a T, keep people out of the hospitals. That was, that was, a, a, I have that article, it's amazing, you know, warning to America, do not put people in the hospitals, keep them home and treat them at home. So there was that. And then out of Singapore, other articles talking about what was on the horizon. And then I got my hands on an article out of China about the use of quinine derivatives in the treatment of these SARS-CoV-2 variants. And it was interesting because the writers were all Chinese authors out of, um, who knows, Shanghai somewhere. I, but it's a very academic article about the history of quinine. It was very scientific and very understandable to me because I was like, wow, this is crazy, good stuff. And then I have other articles I was reading about quinine going back to you know, hundreds and thousands of years of medicinal value. So I, I realized about hydroxychloroquine very early on. And my very first patient in this town, Ocala, Florida, uh, had also done her own research. She had been the nurse. She took care of the first patient who died in this town, who was on the front page of the newspaper. He was a grocery store owner. I'm sure you remember, remember the story, probably 48, 50-year-old yeah. man. And she was with him for the entire 12 hours as a shift ICU nurse. She called me, and she had been in a, uh, she had taken care of him and then gone on to a church Bible study with a group of folks, like I think the next evening. All of them got became ill, but she was my patient, and she said for her and her husband, can you give me hydroxychloroquine? I said, well, that's interesting. I was just reading about this. So she, the informed nurse, she's Filipino, and she she keeps in touch with a lot of stuff in in Asia. So we did. We treated her. She was well very quickly, um, and that began the quest. And then, um, uh, you know, I got more involved in realizing some things just intuitively. I realized that the people were starting to mask up very early on, the masking. And I knew just, just, you know, not even just from my medical training, but just intuitively that masking was not going to be the right thing. I, I said, this is going to be devastating for society, especially for our children, for people with anxiety and panic disorder. And I did the research on it, and I said, this is clearly not effective. Um, and I wrote, I did a video on that called Taking the Mask Off of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, that got the attention of a lot of people around the country, 
uh, one of whom was Dr. Peter McCullough, who then invited me to join the larger group of doctors, again, early in 2020. And um, we, all of us had our own journeys into these alternative remedies. Ivermectin yeah. became next to be a way, you know, thanks to the research of a doctor in Southern Florida and Miami originally, and then Pierre Corey and others. We, we just shared ideas, and it was like, so refreshing to get on a Zoom call with these doctors from all over the country because we felt like we were so alone where we were, li- you know, where we were. In this town, there were a whole group of doctors that they called themselves the COVID freedom docs or something. Right. And they were all pushing for the mask, pushing for the vaccine and saying ivermectin's horrible stuff and hydroxychloroquine. I was, I was like the only guy it felt like at that time in the town. Thankfully, you were kind enough to invite me to speak over here to your church and then, lo and behold, I get a phone call one day in middle early 2020 from the, the, my, my secretary at the office says, Dr. Littell, we have Governor DeSantis on the phone. He'd like to talk to you. Never met the man. And uh, so he was very, very gracious and very curious. He said, Dr. Littell, I need to talk to you. I said, how long do you guys? He said, as long as you can give me. I need to know about these masks because I'm thinking about doing something here in Florida. So that was about a 20, 25, you know, 25 minute conversation. That was kind of when I knew <laughs> Something was- something's up here that, that I need this little old Dr. John Littell. And, you know, I, I just was going by my own intuition and by the grace of God. I said, this, these people, you know what it was? I'll tell you this, Randy. All of us doctors, you hear Dr. McCullough and Dr. Corey, the passion, you know, when Pierre Corey testified in the Senate hearings to the point of tears, he said, I cannot, he was in a critical care doctor in the ICU setting, watching people die and being told by his hospital he couldn't give ivermectin and he was all choked up. I felt the same way. I said, how could I not treat people with something that I know is effective right. and safe? And, and, and I always said to myself and to the other doctors, what is the alternative? What are you doing that's any yeah, better. Yeah, people are dying. When when I knew that there was a a problem with, I'm going to say the media, whoever that is. I mean, you can call it, you know, medical field. When I knew, again, I'm not in the medical field. I don't. I'm clueless about it. I go to the doctor to get fixed. But when I realized that there was a problem when this happened, they started talking about hydroxychloroquine. And when that discussion was, hey, this 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 is an alternative to treat you know, to treat COVID. And when the, when the medical society came out and talked about how dangerous hydroxychloroquine mm-hmm. was, I knew that was a problem because mm-hmm. I used to, um, I traveled to uh, Latin America. I, I worked in Latin America. And okay. so I would load up on hydroxychloroquine as yes. we would know as malaria pills. Yep, absolutely. Plaquenil. And um, Great. we, I mean, I, I, I look back and it was there was never a side effect. Nobody ever had a side effect that I ever knew. Mm-hmm. And um, when they start talking about how dangerous hydroxychloroquine was, I thought we've got a problem. They're not being honest with us. They're yeah. not being honest with the people. Well, exactly. And the pharmacists here locally, CVS, Walgreens, uh, eventually even Publix, but they were the they were the best for the while for a while there. But saying uh, you can't prescribe this, uh, it's dangerous. And I'm like, wait, whoa! I, I've been giving it for decades to patients with rheumatoid arthritis, with lupus. Um, you know, as you said, for malaria prevention. Same story with ivermectin, which of course we've been given for for since its invention, and it won the Nobel Prize as a human medication for the prevention of river blindness. Oh, in, it's in not Africa. horse pills, and it's exactly <laughs> it's a wonderful horse medication too. But 
believe me, wonderful for horses and cows, but miraculous for humans. And, you know, it, it, I had to do more research on ivermectin. And, you know, as I said, I did the research on the quinine derivatives. We know quinine goes back to, you know, Lewis and Clark are going across the country and Native Americans and, and Chinchoa, the tree down in South America where yeah. it comes from. But ivermectin comes was derived from streptomyces. It's a, it was from a fungal um, Myces, the word myces we use for fungal, like you know, uh, right. uh, mycolog, uh, myco, uh, my, I forget my, my mushroom, I, you know, that's fungoides. But anyway, all these words come from Greek, right? Uh, but the point being, streptomyces was one of the first isolated uh, antibiotics from a, from a, a fungal a derivative, and it was used for multiple treatments, including to, to treat parasites and then to treat uh, tuberculosis, initially against tuberculosis. Um, then from that, streptomyces, we developed erythromycin, okay. and then eventually azithromycin, which is the z which is used a lot, has been used a lot, not just in COVID, but many, many diseases. Well, uh, interestingly enough, ivermectin was derived from streptomyces as well. So the streptomycin, same plant, same chemical. So ivermectin is considered what's called a macrolide in the same general category as erythromycin and azithromycin or the z pack But it has even more properties. As I said, to treat river blindness, you can't use z pack to right. treat river blindness. So ivermectin has antiprotozoal properties, antiparasitic properties, antifungal properties, antibacterial properties, antiviral properties. Um, and you know, and and then anti-inflammatory properties that reducing inflammation. So this is crazy. I mean, all these things that we're starting to learn and have learned now in the last three years with ivermectin, um, it, it has been an explosion of knowledge that should have been shared with the larger medical community. And if you ask why it wasn't, the short answer to that question, it, it was an inconvenient truth, to quote uh, Al Gore, right? An inconvenient truth because it would have not allowed Pfizer and Moderna and the federal government behind them and the FDA to unleash these this unmitigated production of mRNA uh, technologies and, and, and really create the narrative of fear that there's, has been ever since really what our society has become. We've become a fearful society. There's a, obviously, I think it's money. A lot of it is oh based gosh. on money. A lot of it is based on control. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my opinion. I'm not not asking for yours on that, but that is my opinion. It's it's a control issue. Let me ask you this: a lot of people that's taken the vaccines, um, young people. We've had people here in our school and our church um, that have just um, they were they were fine one day, the next day they dropped dead of a heart attack, of a stroke. I'm talking about young people. I'm not talking about older people. Mm-hmm. And it's always in my mind that that is some type of a side effect that's causing this from 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 some of these vaccines. Yeah, all cause mortality um, definitely increased. The article that just came out two days ago. Don't quote me. I forget which journal. Looking at mortality in people under fifty at an all time high, worse in America than in most of the developed nations. Um, and then they're scratching their head why? What environmental toxins could there be? You know, what, what, what you know? Is it just suicide? Is it is it fentanyl? I mean, all these things happen. Mental health is an issue, and uh, we can get restarted on on how bad the COVID pandemic was for the mental health right. of our country. That's what my very very first video actually was on the mental health of our nation being deteriorating because of this pandemic of fear. 
But, um, oh, absolutely, money, power, control, all, all basically go together in this, in this uh, uh, basically deluge, this onslaught that, that came into the med- – and then what they did is they silenced the voices within the medical profession that dared to question this narrative, the voices of hope. You know, I say often there's no healing without hope, and what they did with COVID is completely trash – uh, any p- potential hope for these patients that came into the emergency rooms. Uh, they were just told, listen, you're either going to live or you're going to die. Good right. luck. Get up to the COVID ward. And by the way, at the same time, we're going to deprive you of any contact with your outside world, with your ministers, with your wives and husbands yeah. and children. So, and, and the nursing homes. I still have patients to this day that I see one just yesterday. I mean, I, I'm Barbara, whose husband was put in isolation after he went to the ER, and by the way, got sick because of the hospital, acquired the infection in the hospital, had to go back to the hospital, and they said, okay, we're taking him away now, and she never got to see him to the day he died, 60 years of marriage, so uh, until after his body was released. So so there's that. I mean, she's one of thousands of Americans who went through this traumatic experience, and she'll never never recover. She'll never recover. So... um, this is really, I mean, I get passionate now thinking about it, and I will always be passionate when it comes to, to how I do my job as a doctor. And I, and I wish more doctors had taken the blinders off and realized what they were part of. And, you know, nurses. So, and so tell me what, what happened to you. Um, when, you're, when somebody is vocal, when somebody is treating that many patients, and obviously there's a, a greater success rate with some of these alternative medicines and treatments, um, I haven't personally seen anybody that doesn't get COVID that's had vaccines. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's what we were told is, is if you get the vaccine, you won't get COVID anymore. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, well, I've already gotten COVID, so why should I get a vaccine? And um, all my friends and people that got vaccines, they're getting COVID. They were getting COVID. Right. And sometimes worse than than I was. Oh, absolutely worse. I mean, that's that's been pretty much the disaster that has been the vaccines. Putting aside the deaths, the cardiovascular deaths from from blood clots, from myocarditis and strokes and cancers that we saw just emerging because as I explained to someone yesterday, what happens when you put these snippets of mRNA into our genetic makeup, right, into the nuclei of our cells, they don't just stay in one group of cells in your upper arm. They go throughout the entire body into every tissue in the body and they dictate to the cells of your body to produce the spike protein. That's why these are not vaccines. Gotcha. And I got in trouble with the American Board of Family Medicine for calling them products of genetic engineering, but this is what it is. What else do you call it when you usurp the, the nuclear material, our own uh, DNA, and tell it to make something that is, <laughs> you're dictating to it to make these spike proteins. Yeah. Hence, the unmitigated production of spike proteins that is unleashed throughout the body takes a toll on your immune system. And the body, which actually has, we have in both of our bodies sitting right now, we have cancer-suppressing antibodies that are stopping the production of tumor cells. Because there's potential, every time a cell reproduces, replicates, there's a potential for a little glitch that can go on to be a tumor cell. We have cells, uh, antibodies, and other regulatory factors within our body that prevent that from happening. But when you have the unmitigated production of this new lethal spike protein, those antibodies get taken off of the guard duty, as it were, and then they go and they attack that. So this is where we're seeing all these other diseases and in children, adults, and then worse diseases 
later on when they get coronavirus, even the weaker variants of coronavirus, these folks get hit harder. Right. Well, tell me what happened. Um, what happened to you? Um, you 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 came to to OCA. You came to the school and did a did a conference on it. And parents, I mean, there's two or three hundred people showed up to that, and we did it very very quickly. Um, people were concerned. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. Um, our school took a stand that we were going to keep our school running. Um, and we got a lot of pushback for that. We decided that if you want to wear a mask, not yourself, knock yourself out, but we weren't going to mandate it, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that got weird. Um, but what I found out is people kept showing up. I mean, that people were coming to the school. The school was growing during COVID because of those two issues. That's all we did. And, right. um, so tell me, tell me what happened when you be, get vocal and when you say, this is what's going on, what happens? Well, you know, if we've been able to keep it within just Ocala, and, I, and if I had just been one of those people that wants to just only influence just the local area, maybe nothing much would have happened in the way of discipline with me outside of Ocala. I did get disciplined within Ocala and actually with my practice in, in Orlando when I went to hospitals. All, every hospital system disciplined me. I won't get into all the details, but I was disciplined at every level but every by every hospital in which I took care of patients. But that aside... Um, once the videos became something that was put out there, as I said, the governor got attended, was, you know, found one and others found them. Um, eventually, the American Board of Family Medicine got their hands on the video that I had made at Ocala Christian Academy and then later on the summit here in Ocala. And um, they just pointed out, hey, Latell, you're not supposed to talk about uh, vaccines as being dangerous to children. That's a no-no. So you're being uh, a misinformer. And because I was now a, quote, misinformer, I was endangering the public health and well-being, and I was no longer worthy of being board certified as a family physician. Um, you know, they, they criticized my saying at the same meeting that these are products of genetic engineering. Um, of course they're not. They're vaccines. Of course they're wrong. I'm right. And, and I had a, a letter signed by over 170 physicians that rebutted every point they made. Wow. Uh, I had two st- sitting congressmen, our own congresswoman, Kat Kamek, and my friend Pete Sessions out of Texas, both sent letters to the American Board of Family Medicine saying, you know, if you stifle Dr. Littell, if you take away his ability to question the, the safety or effectiveness of a medical treatment, I said, this will have a chilling effect on the medical profession for decades or for the history of medicine. So long story short, and $50,000 of legal fees later, wow. Wow. Um, I they wrote me a letter about exactly a month ago and said, Dr. Littell, you're still a misinformer. You're still unprofessional. You're still guilty as charged. Uh, we decertify you. You're no longer a board-certified physician as of, interestingly enough, March 16th, and then we reinstated you on June 16th. So they took away my board certification retroactively, reinstated it, which I don't know how they make that decision because I was never even aware that I wasn't. This is a very uh, important thing is there to be something, certified. Is yeah. there some reason they did that? I mean, did they actually cut a piece of your board certification out for a period of time? Well, the main reason they know what they can do, if you don't report to the authorities, to your hospitals and others that you've been decertified, you can be kicked off staff, right? Okay. Now, what they did by doing it that way is they didn't even give me a chance to report anything because I was now a researcher, so I'll maybe mention it, but it is a disciplinary action. It's a blight on your record. It's a blemish. It's whatever it is that goes on your record should you apply 
we have a new hospital system coming into town, you know, University of Florida. You know, if I apply for privileges there, they'll say, have you ever been decertified or sanctioned or disciplined? Well, I'm going to have to give them a boatload of information because all those things have happened to me right. as a result of COVID. So there's no guarantees I'll be able to take care of patients in that hospital system because they can use that against me. They know darn well what they're doing. Um, they also knew darn well why they should not continue to decertify me because I know they knew there'd be a legal challenge. Uh, we were prepared, and to see, we still are prepared to go to federal court um, uh, and fight them for what they've done to silence and censor uh, me and because they're doing it to others. They right. did it to my friend in Indianapolis. They, did it to, they do it to medical school students and to uh, residents on a regular basis. Tell us about a little bit about this um, this summit. I've been to two of these summits, and uh, I just want to tell the the people, the listeners, the viewers, these things are amazing. These are top medical professionals all over the world. Some of the top people um, in the world that are coming to these events um, that are that are speaking at these events. And uh, there's a next there's another one coming up in November. Right, Veterans Day, November eleventh. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, some of the people that that you has been confirmed, and then some invited. Absolutely. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we've got it's a different um, take, although it's very fascinating to me that COVID is now back uh, as almost becoming as much of an issue as it was previously. I really had hoped it was. Is that election of, season or something? Is that what? It, does it come around every election cycle? Putting or? masks back on people and getting people to stay at home and not turn out to vote is, is definitely seems to be part of the agenda. Um, but uh, yeah, man. So that's that's coming back. So it is the Florida Summit on COVID, the third one we've had. The subtitle is Food, Family, and Medical Freedom. Food, huge issue. Everybody that I've been dealing with that's been enlightened about COVID is also now finding in that it's increasingly challenging to know what in our America's food supply they can trust. That's right. All right. You get the same conversations, the same people I'm talking about COVID vaccines at the same time, whether they're new mommies taking care of their babies and wondering what formula they can or not give to, you know, give to their children. Um, Or it's, you know, any of the whole age spectrum, people are saying, uh, is MR, are mRNA va- vaccines, quote unquote, injections being given to the cows and to the pigs and everyone else? And what, how's that affecting it? Can we trust our beef supply? Can we trust anything we buy at the grocery store? And so the conversation, the first part of our conversation, and interestingly, you'll find it that all the same doctors that I've been turning to, our group of doctors, so many of them, from Ryan Cole out in Idaho, who has his own farm, uh, right. everything from, you know, from sheep and goats to to pigs to his his, his wheat and everything he grows there so he's amazing brian tyson in california who runs a restaurant that's based has like a seed to table concept uh so we've got this these are doctors um my friend dr um brooke miller up in virginia is the president of the cattlemen's associate past president of the cattlemen's association of america so and a fellow out of texas called slim Texas Slim, wonderful, good. He started something called the Beef Coalition. Another farmer in, in wheat, uh, a wheat farmer in Montana, who's the largest organic wheat grower in the country. A fellow down in South Florida named Alfie Oaks. You may know him. Mm-hmm. See the table yep. coming up here too. And and um, regenerative farmers. So why all these people? Because we're going to have an incredible discussion about how to restore trust in America's food supply. Um, vis a vis, you know. 
the, the mRNA injections and also just in general what has happened. And, and it's a fascinating look at the politics of food, um, and that's that. Um, then we're going to delve into America's the assault on the family in America, the family unit in America. Again, the same doctors that I'm involved with through the Global COVID Summit, doctors like Kat Lindley, and, um, uh, who's a family physician in Texas, uh, Richard Urso, and all the ones I've mentioned for Robert Malone and his wife, Professor Jill Malone, um, Paul Marrick. Oh, by the way, I meant to mention with the food segment, Dr. Paul Marrick with Pierre Corey, both of them with the FLCCC, many of your listeners may know about the Frontline Critical Care Coalition. He has been one of the biggest uh, 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 critics of statins in the tr- as a tr- mainstay treatment for hyperlipidemia. So we will be also focusing on this whole issue of cholesterol. Is it good or bad? Obviously, it's both, right? right? But in my perception, there's more good about cholesterol than there is bad. And that's an evolving pers- uh, position for me. And it's one I'll be, we're going to have this open discussion with cardiologists and everyone else about the statins. And then we move into the assault on the family, the transgender stuff. Now, we all know where you know where we both stand on that issue. But what people don't know is where the medical schools stand and the American Board of Family Medicine, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and what happens if you're an emerging young physician in training and you dare to question the narrative that says when you walk into a room before you do a pelvic exam on a woman, you say, how, are you, how should I, what is your pronoun? This is Do I call you a she or this a he? This is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, isn't it credible? You're, you're delivering their baby and this you have to ask them. It's turning science upside down. It's, it's Frankensteinian. It's, it's like this is all just bizarre world that no one ever predicted. But I have seen medical students coming out into my office really prepared to ask people about their pronouns, even in situations where it's clear that they're, with them, that they're doing a female exam or a male exam. So we kind of need to get into the meat of that a bit. And then, of course, with family and the assault on fertility. And that still gets us back into COVID shots and vaccine. What, what happened with female fertility? And we'll close the day with a, with a wonderful panel of doctors and nurses, medical students who've been um, basically vindic- vilified because of their views on COVID. That's the medical freedom segment. And you were, you saw last year, we actually got into some of the politics of that. What can we do at the state level, at the federal level to preserve the freedom of physicians and students and nurses, respiratory therapists. So it's a wide reaching uh, uh, discussion. It almost sounds like too much when I talk about it. And yet I, I have it in my head how we're going to go from one panel to the next and next we'll intersperse it with some music and uh, it'll be at the world equestrian center awesome a thousand people capable and uh it's a great day veterans day great day to be an american and great day to be in ocala florida for what i know will be a great event now that's november 11th 11th at what time all day, pretty much nine okay. to four. And nine to four, it's six hours of continuing education credit. And the best place to go for tickets is the easiest one to probably remember, if you don't know how to spell my name, is prescribetruth.com. Prescribetruth.com. And then otherwise, okay. it's my personal professional website, which is John Littell, MD. And what I will do is I will put, I will put that information um, on this podcast so Thank that you. they can go to it. I'll, I'll, I'll link it so that you can just, they can look at this, listen to this, or watch this, and then click on the podcast and, and go straight to it. Great. Thank you. Anything else in, in closing that you wanna would want to say? 
No, I, ex- well, except to thank people uh, out there who have been praying for me to get through a lot of what I had to deal with and still are, am dealing with. Uh, one thing you and I both agree about is the power of prayer. Um, it is, uh, you know, we're, right. we're kept in existence by God, and we are kept in existence for a purpose. That's right. And, and I, I'm just very thankful that God gives me the ability each and every day, probably each and every moment, it seems lately, to know what his purpose is for me, because as I take care of patients, it's just they're just crying out uh, to God and crying out to the world. Listen to me. I, I need help. And I, so pray for me and pray for those students and medical students and training those who really are convicted the same way uh, as they're dealing with a lot of persecution, too. I appreciate that. This And, and I appreciate what you've done, the stand that you've taken. Uh, you are the go-to person. I mean, I'll text you crazy times and say, does this make sense? Is this right? And uh, and normally it's not. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, uh, unfortunately. But hey, hey, listen, there are there's this there's hope there's hope in, on the horizon. Thank you for taking the time to to be with me today too. I appreciate all the work you're doing here at OCA. Thank, thank you and God bless you. God bless. Worldview truth.